Welcome to Whitestone Podcast from the Whitestone Forum. This podcast is for business and nonprofit leaders like you and me, specifically designed around building, polishing, and leveraging our competencies. Each episode will provide a lens through which ever-growing citizens of God's kingdom can think about very effectively impacting every one of their organizations. For Whitestone Podcast, I'm Kevin Miller. As a Christian, you may remember this often used slogan for thinking about relationships. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Haven't you yourself heard that quite a bit? And it's really pretty tidy, isn't it? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, my experience and my observations are that this saying is one of the easiest pieces of advice to give and one of the hardest pieces of advice to receive and then actually execute. (laughs) Take the case of an underprivileged young 20-something who really truly faced a lot of hardships growing up, perhaps poverty, lack of opportunity, deep family dysfunction. The hand this young person was dealt just seems really unfair. And when this person steals some items from a convenience store, it's pretty easy to say, love the sinner, hate the sin. But what if this same young person sexually assaults your eight-year-old son or daughter? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Hey, that rolls off your tongue with the same easy-come, easy-go flow, right? After all, we're all sinners. As for the heinous sin against your child, forget about it. Love that sinner. Yeah, right. But of course, this very idea is what sets faith in Christ so far apart from every religion. Yes, Christ commands us to love others with no conditions. Let's take a deeper look at that. Hey, in God's ultimate economy, there are really just two types of people. Those who receive and believe in Christ, they are His children, and then there are those who are not believers, at least not yet. Here's the interesting part. Does God command us to love unbelievers or to simply love fellow Christians? You know the answer to that is both. As to unbelievers, Jesus taught that the second greatest commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. And of course, everyone is our neighbor. But come on now, you and I have been around the block We've seen just enough of life to know what Jesus was really thinking. You shall love your neighbors yourself, except when that neighbor commits a really heinous sin, like sexually assaulting your son or daughter. Hmm, a hard saying. And all that's true for believers loving believers, too. Jesus taught this directly to his disciples. Quote, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, unquote. John 13, 34 to 35. But wait, come on now. We've all put up with that self-righteous, fault-finding deacon for years. God surely didn't mean that we have to really love him, right? 
Well, afraid so. Likewise, Paul taught the Galatians in 3.23 that, quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, unquote. Every member of the body of Christ is to be the focus and recipient of our love. So, it's all about loving believers and unbelievers. But it's even deeper than that. Paul instructed Timothy that, quote, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, unquote. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 3. We are not only to love all people, but to give thanks to God for those scoundrels. Okay. And Paul indicates there's an eternal purpose of all this loving by Christians, that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then here's this short and sweet teaching by Jesus that turns our deepest inclinations inside out. Quote, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, unquote. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Now we have the whole picture. God commands us to love both unbelievers and believers, friends and enemies. And he did not put any conditions on the worthiness of the recipients of our love or the lack of worthiness. Yes, love the sinner. Applying all that with hating the sin is a bit less often quoted. Jude, verses 22 and 23, says, quote, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh, unquote. And James also is very vigilant in this area. He gets very personal, first instructing us that, quote, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Chapter 1, verse 15. Then James tells us to, quote, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Chapter 1, verse 21. And then he says, quote, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Verse 27. Of course, here James challenges us with the real issue. The most difficult path is to hate and avoid the sins resulting from our own intimate desires, not just hate the sins of others, you know, like murder or sexual assault. How is James' counsel working for you? So, love the sinner and hate the sin. And of course, it's much easier to counsel others in this direction than to apply it in our situation. You know, focusing on a messiness in our lives we've acquiesced to. Let's talk about this in the context of modern businesses and nonprofits. Here's the deal. In our current era, at least in America, the personal 
has become very politicized from every political viewpoint. If you don't subscribe to my views on ethnicity, sexuality, gender, perceived social heritage, and so much more, well then, you are fair game for us to cancel you right out of social media and schools and employment and career. Better yet, we don't even have to know you. Your physical attributes and maybe a few other characteristics are sufficient to know you need to be canceled out of hiring opportunities, promotions, or choice assignments. Bullying used to be a word commonly disparaged by pretty much everyone. Not so much anymore. Currently, actual acts of bullying supposedly reveal enlightened values. Self-righteously and group-righteously invoked against people groups not in favor, or at least not with your point of view. That's right, no need to research whether a specific real sin was identifiably committed against a specific victim. Instead, simply tag that person as being in the wrong group and take punitive action. Wish I could say that all this damaging condemnation is limited to unbelievers, but it's been going on oh, for at least a couple thousand years, including by God's people. A candidate for the all-time gold medal for this was, by his own account, the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul, also known as Saul, persecuted Christians deeply from approvingly attending the stoning murder of Stephen to throwing women and children in prison. When Paul converted, Christians were shocked. <laughs> But you know what these early Christians ultimately did. Paul was embraced as one of their own. That action is pretty much straight from God's playbook. Love the sinner, but hate the sin committed. But what about the track record of so many Christians in the centuries since? Sadly, even while many Christians truly love their neighbors, other Christians are often far removed from Jesus' example of hanging out with the undesirables. <laughs> when today's cancel culture cancels someone, aren't they really just mimicking the example of some Christians? Also wish I could say that America's institutions are taking a stand against hateful activity. You know, institutions like governments, corporations, universities, and schools. But no, nowadays these institutions are often actually leading the charge in installing brand new or freshly revised versions of hate-based isms. Okay, so modern-day Americans are not going to be burned at the stake, at least not yet. But you do know that Christians even persecuted fellow Christians in past centuries, all the way down to burning them at the stake, like for merely translating the Bible into the English language or just not believing correctly. Then and now, it's often people supposedly sharing the same worldview who shred each other. So how about a specific scenario? Just what do you do when your coworker or your friend or your daughter or even you are sidelined, restricted from career advancement due to some version, of sexism or genderism or racism, yeah, 
some ism that's pushing either one direction or another. Hard, very hard. Still, are we working to fulfill the heights of love Jesus asks of us, loving the sinner and hating the sin? Hey, are you still with me on this? (laughs) Well, how are you going to do that? What's your Christ-like solution? Yeah, just how do we fulfill the heights of following Jesus, loving the sinner and hating the sin? Here are three more wish I could says. (laughs) Wish I could say it's not going to happen to you. Wish I could say your leaders will thwart it. Wish I could say that we'll always respond well when it comes our way. Still, Jesus commanded us with that prescription, taking the sometimes bittersweet medicine of loving others. Thank you for listening to Whitestone Podcast. Visit our website, whitestone.org, for more real-world equipping. There you'll find uncommon video teachings, application and action questions for this podcast episode, and more. Also, check out our unique downloadable resources for group meetups. That's whitestone.org. I'm Kevin Miller.